Welcome to Adult Papers, the podcast for grown-ups. I'm your host, Violet Augustine. I'm going to share sometimes magical, sometimes terrifying, often strange, occasionally funny, and somewhere uncomfortably between hyper-real and surreal stories with you. So a friend gave me the idea that I should have an episode about me. I guess to tell you why you should care about what I have to say. Spoiler, I have no reason why you should care about what I have to say. I mean, I'm assuming if you listen, it's because you like the way I tell stories, not necessarily because I tell them, or I'm kidding myself. That would suggest that you never heard of me before you heard my oh-so-skillful way with words, and now you're hooked. LOL. Either way, I'd love to know, like if you want to tell me why you listen, or if you have any other comments, contradictions, or suggestions, email me at adultpaperspodcast at gmail.com or fill out the contact form on my website, adultpapers.com. I suppose I have a couple quote credentials, but I actually only share those because despite them, I still have no idea what the fuck I'm doing as a sober person, as a mom, as a human being in life, period. I'm just out here taking things as they come and doing my best. In fact, I bet the only difference between me and you is that I have a compulsion to make sense of things. Like, that's really it. And the way I do that is by putting a bunch of words next to each other on a piece of paper or a screen and then saying them out loud. And in order to make sense of each little rivulet, I have to use different inflections. And as it turns out, that whole thing is a story. So I tell stories to my friends or my kid or my plants or the wall. But since some people got some joy out of my stories when they were zines, I decided to do this podcast. So here I share those stories with you with the hopes that you'll stumble less on your path, or if that can't be helped, at least so that you can laugh at me when I fall on my ass, which I do quite a lot. And let's be real, I don't have any friends. (laughs) Besides the couple that I text at all hours, and part of the reason I created this show was to take some of the pressure off of their asses so they don't have to bear the full burden of my stories. So now, you're my friends. Hello, friends. And since we're friends now, you should know about me. So here goes. First of all, how can I even do this in an episode? Like, how long is it going to be? What does about me even mean? And where do I start? Like, do I start with the moment I was born? What about when I was conceived or when my parents met? Obviously, things go way beyond that, like to the hominids, and before that even, but unfortunately, or fortunately for you, I don't know my history that well. Not even my family history, really. I know that my Mima got adopted in New Orleans by her aunt at the orphanage where, quote, unwed mothers gave up their babies. But it was weird because she was wed, and Mima had an older and a younger sibling, So what the fuck happened between that time that she'd give up her middle child? 
seems pretty fucking dark to me. And I know my abuelo was visiting his friend who happened to be my abuela's cousin. And when he saw her dressed up to go out, he told her, a woman he'd never met, who was seven years his senior, to make her some coffee. And she laughed in his face and he subsequently became obsessed with making her his wife. Unfortunately, I don't know a whole lot about what happened before my grandparents. My abuela's mom, Violeta, who I was named after, died in her 60s. And all I know about abuela's dad is that he was a lawyer or something like that. And he chose his other family over Teresita, my abuela, and her sister Marta. And then Violeta remarried the family doctor and had like four more kids. And abuela's tia Susa raised her and she didn't even see her mom much after that. No one knows who Mima's bio dad was. The people who did know took it to their grave and Mima herself died without ever knowing. I suppose I could hit the record books, but I wonder how many records actually exist for immigrant families for one and super secret middle child quote orphans for the other. Okay, so I can try to tell my story the way only I know how to tell it, which means I won't even know what it is until I'm writing it down. See, I told you, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I'm just figuring it out as my fingers tap the keys and my mouth pronounces the syllables. My parents were babies when they had me. They met at the Arby's that used to be on Town East by 635 in Dallas slash Garland slash Mesquite, whichever fucking one it is right there. When my dad was 15 and my mom 16, if I remember the facts correctly. That Arby's is now a Burger King, and I think I've referenced that goddamn thing at least three times now because I mentioned it on the episode about how Adult Papers was born, and it's on zine number two. My mom really didn't like my dad when she first met him. She thought he was arrogant, and that's not hard to corroborate with hard evidence because the one surviving photograph of my dad in that Arby's, he's standing with his friend, with his fro, and his gold chain, and his shirt unbuttoned down to his sternum, and his naked chest all out there for everyone to see, which I'm sure was a health violation of some sort. And I think he's smoking a cigarette, like behind the Arby's counter. One of those old silver mics shaped like a champagne flute poking up from the brown wood grain counter. But I guess it didn't take long for the hate to turn to lust. And according to my dad, they were sneaking out of their respective windows to get into each other's pants. Anyway, I don't know much of the story after that. My parents get married when my dad is 17, so they need parental permission. My mom has me in January 85. Five months after she turns 19, she's married with a kid. Was she pregnant when they got married? I don't know. You do the math. They live in the garage that my abuelo had converted into an apartment in a house that is weirdly like two blocks from where I live right now. That gives me the creeps and reminds me that I need to get the hell out of this town. But I think that's going back too far, but at least that's the context. Probably contributes to why I'm 35 and still don't know what the fuck I'm doing, though if we're being honest, does anyone ever really know what they're doing? If they say they do, they're full of shit or completely unself-aware. I used to tell people I knew what the fuck I was talking about when I was like 25. Yeah, I definitely thought I had a fucking clue when I was in my 20s. Who am I? What a fucking question to be asking in a podcast episode. If I tell the whole damn thing, it's going to be a multi-parter. Or we could be philosophical and say that this entire podcast, every episode, is answering that question. But yeah, that is true. 
I'm an artist writer. Yes, that is one word because although I love the concept of being a multi-hyphenate, it gives me cognitive dissonance. If I were to go the multi-hyphenate route, I'd have to write like 20 things after my name. And how do I even decide what those multitude of multi-hyphenates are? Do I qualify for a title if I've gotten paid to do it? No, because then that would disqualify the degrees that I paid and am still paying with interest to get. Here's a partial list. Poet, performer, painter, dancer, sculptor, runner, bruja, textile artist, claircognizant, photographer, videographer, teacher, editor, producer, songwriter, just writer, singer, guitarist, pianist, yoga practitioner. Look, I just get the damn thing done. That's what I should have put on the website. Violet Augustine is a get the damn thing doneer. I get an idea of a thing I want to do. I figure out what I'll have to learn to get that thing done. I learn it so I can do it. Then I do it. Then I reflect on it. And the process repeats. So I prefer the term artist writer. I hope that the compound word kind of covers all bases while allowing me to use one simple term for what I am. The artist part covers the visual, tactile, performative part, I hope. The writer covers the conceptual, technical, creative side, I hope. And the creation of my own word covers the magical, mysterious, cosmic side of me. Hopefully, the part that definitely has extrasensory perception. I don't know, does making my own word hint to that? It's creative, like the universe is creative, and mysterious, and ungraspable in its scope. I don't know why, but I just know things sometimes. It's a mystery to me, but it could definitely be empirically proven that sometimes Violeta just knows shit that she shouldn't just know, but she just knows. And that, my friends, is what is commonly referred to as ESP. Because I got me some ESP like a bitch. <laughs> I'm a rapper now, apparently. <laughs> Though, if I had to forsake the multi-hyphenate and the compound word, I'd use the word writer, because most of what I do is in the name of telling a story. When I write songs, when I sing, when I make masks or zines, it's all for the purpose of telling a story, which kind of just makes me a writer or a storyteller. Before writing, I'd just be a plain-ass old person speaking, singing, acting out scenes to pass down the stories and the records of what people need to know so that they don't eat the poisonous mushrooms or what have you. I have two vivid first memories. One involves me playing with my own shit. That needs to be its own episode. And the other is when I learned to write, which seems more fitting for the story that I should tell in an About Me episode. The other first memory I have is of being molested by my almost 30-year-old uncle, but that's a whole other episode. And you can have access to that episode if you join me on Patreon. On that note, want some exclusive adult content on adult papers? Join me on Patreon. I'm running a special offer through the end of 2020. Every new patron gets a custom adult paper sticker shipped right to your door. Let me just be straight with you. If you join me on Patreon on the adult content tier, you're going to get two types of extra content. One of them is where you get to hear the words fuck and come used in their more 
playful contexts. And the other type of content is the type that you would only tell your friends behind closed doors because it's going to piss someone off or it's going to make certain people uncomfortable. So adult content meaning anything you don't want your five-year-old or your boss to hear. Why 50 bucks, you ask? Basically, to weed out the, the haters and the spies. Although, if you're a hater who's willing to spend 50 bucks a month to get the tea, then thank you. After three months, you get a custom adult papers tea. Not a tea bag, not the juicy stuff you share with your friends, but a t-shirt. This isn't your regular Patreon ad. This is adult papers. So here's that other first memory, which is also issue number one of the adult papers zine called Slash Marks. So one day after school in the house we were renting on Hillcrest in Mesquite, Texas, my mom slapped a huge green spiral notebook and a pencil in my hand and wrote my name and address down. She wanted me to memorize these things in the case I ever got lost so I'd be able to tell a police officer who I am and where I live. Best case scenario, right? Where do most five-year-old lost girls actually end up? Probably buried somewhere or else in a new town where they'd say to me, Violet? Who's Violet? You're confused, honey. Your name's Bianca. Or Evelyn or Vivian or whatever trafficked children. Hmm. I'm starting to sound like my kid. <laughs> when I'm displeased with my own performance, I do this little hmm sound that my that is my kids way of showing their displeasure whatever name trafficked children get given by their captors sorry tangent my general disgust for the state of things tends to manifest itself in sarcastic asides which means if you're easily offended or easily triggered this might not be the show for you i call it adult papers for a reason and i try to warn you as much as possible up front that i talk about adult shit anyway Back to the kitchen table and the green spiral notebook. We'd just taken those kid ID photos at the daycare, the ones that look like driver's license but have all the identifiers of your baby on it in the awful case that you might need all the identifying info on a card with your baby's face on it. So my mom had that in her defense arsenal against a fucked up world. Her next line of defense was to make sure I knew my full name and address and shit. I was like four. I remember being pretty challenged by the task because I couldn't read yet and I could hardly write. But she walked me through the general machinery of how to make slash marks with a pencil in between the lines of a paper. And that is the first time in my life that my mind was blown. I get that you're supposed to teach kids one letter at a time so that they can identify it and know the sounds it makes and write it, etc. But something about all of that happening all at once seems to hold the key as to why my mind was blown and why I've never been the same after that. The same. What, what's the same? I was four. <laughs> there was no the same yet. Like, shit is only interesting to me if everything kind of explodes in 12 different directions at the same time. And it's best if each direction is in some surface level way seemingly unrelated to the other directions so that from the outside it looks like a disaster, but from the inside it's an intricate interwoven pattern of connections, reflections, and refractions. That's what learning to write, learning my name, learning to read, learning my address, and learning of the terrifying possibility that I could ever be separated from my mom to such a degree that I'd have to even know all these things, did for my little brain. 
I bet there was some bilingual shit going on there too, because since my abuela didn't speak English and she took care of me during the day, I was learning to speak in Spanish and in English, but I was only learning to read and write in English. So there must have been some part of my brain that was like, okay, this is how mama says my name. This is how mama writes my name. These are the sounds these particular slash marks make in the way mama speaks. And they're different from the ones abuela speaks because at that time, I didn't even know the names of the two modes of communication. I don't know if I even knew that they were languages necessarily. They were just, when I'm thirsty, I ask my mom for water, but I ask my abuela for agua. On that note, Augustine is the last name I've legally elected for myself. My birth last name was Gutierrez. Not that that makes a lick of difference unless you're like me looking at the name Augustine being like, that's not how you spell it in Spanish. I know. I don't feel like explaining it right now why I chose that word. Just know that having my ex-husband's name was not kosher and neither was having my dad's. And obvi, we live in a patriarchy. So even if I had chosen my mom's or abuela's last name, it was still just some dude's name. So I selected a name for myself. Now to complicate things. My dad's name is Agustin, but it's also my child's middle name, and it's spelled differently, and Augustin Burroughs is Augustin Burroughs's elected name too. So I'm kind of explaining it anyway. Just know I had lots of reasons to choose Augustine as my last name and to spell it the way I did. And side note, after I wrote this, an angel came down from heaven to the picnic table where I eat lunch at work and asked me if I was ever going to be named anything other than Violet. And I was like, well, they were going to call me Augustine if I was a boy. And holy shit, I fucking named myself Violet Augustine, like both of the names I had before birth. Well, now I have them both. That's fucking cool, right? Another one of those interesting accidents that happen in life that you find when you just pay attention. Anyway, we spent a lot of time at my abuela's house growing up. Notice also that I say abuela's house and not the plural abuelo's house because though they both lived there, it was abuela's $7 an hour factory job that paid the mortgage. I think even twice. So that house was abuela's house. Even though I think my abuelo's name is probably still on the paperwork and he liked to say it was his house and his car, even though she paid the goddamn bills. And come to think of it, History repeats itself in funny ways, doesn't it? Anyway, my abuela and my mom raised me and my brother. So I was raised by two women. Thank God when we look at the alternative. So my abuela was the one that directly taught me about spirituality. My mom wasn't religious, but that was also great because she basically taught us the golden rules. Treat others how you would like to be treated. Also do the right thing because it's the right thing. Basically, my mom raised us Buddhist without knowing it. Abuela was more spiritual, but definitely not religious. She felt very strongly that priests and the church were sus as fuck, and so she'd openly talk shit about the Catholic church and the priests therein. But I, very ignorantly so, thought we were Catholic because of the saints in the house and because we'd go to the Catholic church down the street during the day to pray. It wasn't until I was much older that I went to a mass for the first time and found myself thinking, what the fuck is this bullshit? Holy shit, I've been telling people I'm Catholic. I'm not Catholic for shit. According to this guy, I'm sacrilegious as fuck, but fuck this guy. Who is he to tell me what God is and what God wants from me? And he has the fucking audacity to pretend that God has a dick? I mean, come on. I say this a lot, but use that big fucking organ you got in that skull. Turns out that what Abuela was teaching me was called Santeria. 
and thank God for it. You know, I have never once gotten a package stolen off my porch, even though I pretty much never go shopping in person anymore. And those packages sit on my porch all day in a neighborhood where every other post in next door is about people's packages getting stolen. Besides the convenient placement of the bushes, I attribute that to the fact that I did a spell on that porch to keep it invisible from passerby. And it fucking works, dude. Sometimes I don't even see packages on my porch until I'm right up on them. But I also know what can happen as soon as one starts bragging about their supernatural gifts. So universe, I am not bragging. I am simply sharing with the world that my abuela was a bad witch and she trained me well as, and magic is real and it works. And now let me go and do the spell again with a new offering to prove I'm not being cocky. She taught me how to pray, always emphasizing the act of praying for others and how to use water to bless and cleanse a house and keep the negative energy away, how to use fire to attract the things you need and want, how to use oils and intention to get desired outcomes, how to create offerings as a way of acknowledging the blessings, and essentially creating an energy exchange, which I wrote my first episode about when it finally clicked in my head that that's how the universe works. And that's likely why we created an economic system where you exchange paper for things. She taught me how to use foods and herbs to heal yourself and your family, the whole shebang. What my abuela taught me was witchcraft, witchcraft being defined as the practice of magic and magic being defined as using mysterious or supernatural forces to influence the course of events. Check, check, and check. But nature is mysterious, and we also call what she taught me folk medicine, probably because the word magic scares us. But folk medicine is also using the elements around us to create desired outcomes or influence the course of events. That's why I love the whole modern move to embrace the words witch and witchcraft. Because when you give your sick child a bowl of chicken soup, hoping it will make them better, you're essentially practicing magic. Sure, recently, science has demystified some of the reasons that those practices work, like proving that sopa de pollo actually does help cure sick people because some of the compounds in the chicken or whatever it is. But before it was proven by science, it was known, although mysteriously, to be so. And that is magic. So don't be so damn afraid of the word magic or witch or witchcraft. Most of us are witches, if not all of us. Yeah, if I think about it, we're all witches. Some obviously better and stronger than others. Take Augustine Burroughs, for example. That is one fucking strong ass witch bitch. But it's also just like some of us are better at basketball than others. Some of us have the natural affinities that others don't. But all of us could play it. And most of us have, although basketball isn't the best example because we're not all always playing basketball, even when we don't realize we're playing basketball. Magic is more like that. We're all of us always creating magic in our lives by simply being alive and engaging with the natural world around us because physics. We do shit that makes shit around us do some other shit, even when the shit that's happening isn't shit we can see or even record or understand in the moment or empirically prove yet, and it's all mysterious as fuck, so it's all magic. And when we're doing it unwittingly or unbeknownst to us, we're just sad little witches making bad magic and unaware that we're doing it. Although there are the few that are unaware and yet they still make good magic. But those people usually believe in something even if it's just believing and doing the right thing. That belief is its own religion and its own sort of magical witchcraft. 
So yeah, that's kind of a brief introduction to me. My fascination with concepts likely has some seed in the bilingual experience. It was a complete bilingual, bicultural, and in some senses, biracial experience because both were completely self-contained. It was like being born in one world and going to sleep in another world. So sure, language excites me, words interest me, but it's more than just words. It's concepts, contrasts, juxtapositions, confrontations, comparisons, points of origin, and their fractal infinite spinoffs. And I think this is enough about me for one day. Oh, one last thing. I just got a package. I've been waiting breathlessly for this thing for like two whole days. It includes the following books that I got at the suggestion of the New York Times annual list of 100 notable books. Breasts and Eggs by Mieko Kawakami, Cleanness by Garth Greenwell, and Red Pill, a novel by Hari Kunzru, and a couple Ayurvedic cookbooks. Jenny, how'd I do? That was only like seven of the 10 pages I wrote for this episode. So yeah, kind of like I said in my trailer, sometimes I'm too fucking tired to riff off my own shit. I mean, the only thing I have to say about that about me is like, did it, did, did I say anything? <laughs> did I say anything? Dude, that was a hard one. That was a hard one. Oh, on that note, I did put a, a contact form on my website. So if you have concepts for episodes that you would like me to speak on, I would be more than happy to read your suggestion, do a little research, light research, depending, and uh, just write and talk about some shit. Uh, that's what I already do. So if you want to suggest something, please go for it. Or if you want to comment anything, or if you want to contradict anything, please go for it. It's on my website, adultpapers.com. I already said that in the beginning. Um, but I mean it. That's why it's there. Yeah. And maybe feedback on this this episode here, because was it the fact that it was too sprawling of a concept like about me? I mean, I have the whole about me page on my website, which I worked on for a while to distill it down to the salient bits because there's a lot of shit going on with about me and my brain like immediately goes to the whole big picture, big, big, big picture, which isn't necessarily helpful. I mean, because the purpose is like, this is why you should care what I have to say. But I don't have any reason why you should care what I have to say besides if you are, are driving and you want to listen to someone else's thoughts. That is probably likely the biggest reason why I listen to so many podcasts and audiobooks is because I need to hear someone else's ideas, words, concepts, because my own drive me quite mad unless I'm able to do something with them. Because I'm a doer. I am a doer. And if I can't be doing, I get very anxious. And so that is why if I am driving and I can't be doing because I'm driving, podcasts, Audible are my life. <laughs>